Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Playful Podcast, your guide into the underground scene where we discover topics on kink and electronic music every week. Don't forget to subscribe to not miss out on our next episode. We're here today with Istanbul-born and Berlin-based porn producer Emre Busse. In this conversation we speak about being a queer man in Turkey, how we got started in porn as a producer and later also as a performer. We also speak about humor and porn as well as developing a character and creating a persona with different personality traits than you have yourself. This and much more. Let's get to it. I am Amanda and this is Playful Podcast. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about who you were when you were a kid or like a teenager? Like when yeah. growing up in Turkey? Um, I was born uh, in a very um, multi-ethnic family, so to say. My mother is coming from a Greek descent and my father's side is completely Kurdish. And uh, my grandparents from my father's side, they were the first generation guest workers in Germany who worked here. And then when my grandfather died, they went back to Turkey. So I grew up in Istanbul. uh, And during my childhood, I mean, I had quite smooth childhood so to say like uh, considering the financial difficulties and everything I was coming from a worker class family but I was never struggling so because my family had their uh, own assets although they were like working class family and uh, growing up as a queer kid of course I have to start from that because when I first uh realized that I'm queer. I think it was like when I was seven years old when I first saw Spice Girls concert <laughs> in Istanbul. <laughs> yeah, because when I came out to my mom, my mom told me that I knew it when I took it to Spice Girls concert. So I thought I was feeling myself quite hard at that time. <laughs> so sweet. Yeah, but then the uh the school years weren't that easy. You know But your I mom was, was welcoming. Yeah, like yeah, she... of course. Yeah, accepting. And your dad was also accepting? Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I had completely a supportive family considering the LGBT issues. This was never an issue. Okay, great. And they also felt free to speak about, or like be open about that with their friends. Like it was a. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, in the whole family. This wasn't the thing. But I'm quite the one of the lucky ones, you know, like it's. How to say this? I don't know. Like you grow up in a country when there's a constant hatred towards queer people, especially trans people. You know, you wake up and the first thing you hear, one of our friends has passed away because someone killed that person. You know, you grow up with this kind of information. You become immune to this, which is horrible for me because normalizing such an unexpected issue, unexpected issue is crazy. Yeah. And, but when I was like uh, in high school, I 
met with activism, LGBT rights activism, and I got involved in Istanbul Pride. And I was in the organization committee as a volunteer for three, four years. And those were the most amazing times of my life because my life, because it opened my eyes. And I felt like, you know, I gained extremely important experience considering life because I met, I touched people that I could never imagine to touch. And you cannot buy this experience with anything. So how, what did you, what were some things you realized? Uh, one of the things, like, for example, I didn't know what is a trans movement when I was growing up. You know, when I was like 16, 17, yeah, I know the representations, but the representations on the media was like trans people waiting for a uh, customer who are sex workers and waiting for a customer on the street and who are like, you know, uh, represented as evils of the society. But once you meet with them in the activism scene, and these people started to mother me, show me the things and you know, how to exist in a community, how to approach in activist movements, how to, you know, uh, touch to another movement and put a dialogue together. For example, one of the people who introduced me activism was a trans woman who was also a leftist. And at that time, I didn't know that much about the leftist politics. So she also introduced me to the leftist scene of Istanbul at that time. So this was like a very eye-opening thing. You know, you, you wouldn't expect this, that you will learn this uh, from a trans sex worker when you're, age, when you're in the age of 16. But you see what happens. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, and then how come you decided to leave Istanbul? Uh, it was actually the time when the Gezi Park protests happened in 2000. And 13 if i'm not wrong but the year before i was already uh, i already decided that i wanted to leave so uh i came up with the idea because of the education reasons first of all so i wanted to do master studies and i didn't want to go so far away from my family so i wanted to pick germany for that reason and also my family has a history with germany so i thought like why not coming to germany and trying to you know study and have my master's degree so i applied to um bauhaus university and i got accepted and you and studied film no i studied fine arts there but before i had my bachelor's in film and i had a double major also i have a, a design degree but then i decided to do masters in fine arts <laughs> okay yeah and you found berlin yeah and that's I, where you came yeah yeah exactly i mean my school was in weimar but you know it's just like ninety thousand people live there and it didn't seem so attractive for me so i said okay mom we have to do a decision you know either i'm staying there and getting some xanax or <laughs> we are going to berlin you know like and she said yeah you should go to berlin definitely and then i decided to come to berlin ah what was your view on the city when you arrived here oh it was it was wild in a way because I never experienced something like that before, considering the club culture or the gay culture. Because I remember the first year I came here, I went to Folsom and then I went to Snacks Party. I was just like going to Berkheim because I was also a student at the time. So I will I had the, the yeah, I had the luxury to enjoy my life, you know. And when you see all these things, then you feel like you're, you've been introduced to so many different cultures and you have like so many, you have so many things to digest. And this helps you to build yourself in a way because it's, it's very uh, eye-opening, so to say. Yeah. And this was 12 years ago. Yeah, so exactly. A long time ago. Yeah, exactly. How would you say you have uh, changed? Oh, I think... <sighs> First of all, it changed my entire career because first of all, I, I was in, yeah, I was introduced to pornography when I was in Istanbul. This is how my interest started, but Berlin allowed me. <laughs> I was introduced or I found. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Both. <laughs> yeah. You know, like when I came to Berlin, I, I was like, okay, actually I have the luxury to have this as a profession because this. You know, people often say that Berlin is a bubble of freedom, but I don't agree that necessarily because it's also 
there's also the reality of freedom here. You know, you can do many things that you couldn't imagine to do in any other countries of the world, which I experienced myself personally. So I say this from the place of truth. Yeah, can you mention a few? Oh, yeah, well, (laughs) I would end up in a not a pleasant place, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, okay, let's go back to you discovering porn. Oh, yeah. So what did you think or like how how was your interest? Were you interested because obviously you were interested also in art? Yeah. So how did it it grow from becoming something to like that turns you on mm-hmm. to something that you want to create and change and like uh, I think it it started shape. It started when I was in my bachelor's because that was a class I remember. Um, what was it called? Festival management, something like that. So we supposed to prepare a project that puts a film festival together. It was under the film studies uh, course, you know, like one of these courses. So one of uh, the tutor of this course asked me uh, to come up with a film festival program. And at that time, I don't know why, but I was super interested in Brazilian porn cinema because there is a porn genre in Brazil called porno chanchada. It's a comedy and porn. But this genre is, uh, the productions from this genre is banned by the military in the 80s. And Turkey has the similar story. The Turkish erotic cinema is banned in the 80s by military, but these two countries never knew each other in that sense, you know, like this transnational history of cinema binds them together. Wow. And and I was always interested in doing something with that. So I was so, I don't know, I was like very amateur, but in front of my computer at that time, you can imagine the only social network was Facebook. So I was writing to the directors, finding them, stalking them, writing them messages if I can have their movies and translate them from Portuguese to Turkish to show it in my uh, university. <laughs> and some of them sent me the films actually. And I met with some of the actresses. One of the actresses came from Brazil to Turkey to watch the uh, films with me in the university. That's major. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting that because I said to my prof- uh, the tutor, hey, I came up with this idea and I have a huge interest in porn comedy, but it's just because who I am. I'm like very much interested in that. Can we do this? And she supported me. So we came up with like a huge festival program. This little school project turned into a real festival in the university. So this actress came from Brazil to Istanbul and we showed these films and discussed about how actually uh, military coups and oppression of the military impacts on erotic cinema. And then I, this was always in my mind. And when I came to Berlin, I met with Chris and Raquel from Pornceptual. So I involved in Pornceptual because uh, they're also Brazilians and I knew these films and so on. We Our conversation started from there. And then we became really good friends. And then uh, I joined their team to help them in some of the films and so on. But then I changed my career, continued uh, with the Schules Museum, the LGBT History Museum of Berlin. And they invited me to do a, a show, a group show, focusing on Turkey there. So, And we had to prepare also a side event program. And in this side event program, uh, I came up with uh, German-Turkish gay porn movies uh, viewing uh, event. Because there, I knew that when I was like 14, 15, there's this uh, film series called Men of Turkey, which made me laugh so hard. And, you know, like Why? this German directors coming to Turkey, visiting each city and picking a man and showing this man like Men of Istanbul. There's this guy who's supposed to be Men of Istanbul and jerking off in front of the camera. But it also helped me to navigate my sexuality because when I wrote at that time on the porn tubes, like... For example, Pornhub, Extensor, whatever, like Turkish. These movies were the first one that they came up. So I could actually put the resemblance between my sexuality and these men's sexuality in order to make me feel relaxed about my horniness. You know, this helps you to navigate through. You're finding your own queer voice sexually. 
Yeah. Yeah. And in this exhibition, I wanted to do a presentation about these films and show people to these films, but I didn't know that the director of the films came to watch the event. And the week after, they let me the whole archive. They sent me the whole archival material, like including media Hi. archive. He said, I loved your presentation. Do something with this in this museum. But I said, listen, I don't, I don't want to do an exhibition right now, but I want to do a PhD about it to criticize you. Can I do that? Okay. <laughs> let us, because you are writing this PhD right now. Yeah. And it's, it's um, at the end of it, right? Yeah, like I'm you, at the end of it. Yeah. What are, what are some things you've discovered? The thing is, people often think that, because I write about, first of all, I should start from that. Yeah. I write about uh, gay ethnic pornography in post-colonial Europe. So people often think that when we say about ethnic pornography, they want to see the uh, representations like in, in, in interracial porn, like black people and white people. So often white people are objectifying black people. But when we say ethnic pornography, we also see that Western Europeans or Nordic countries, so to say, can objectify Russians for their ethnicity to represent their power and yeah. dominance on them. So wh what I want to say is like, okay, we always discuss about between black and white people and how the, you know, objectifying uh, strategies evolve through the history. But we never say actually how this happens between white people or white others, so to say, because Turkish people are also ethnically white others, like Iranians, like Russians, because they're not Anglo-Saxon. But they also, there's also this uh, power dynamic between Western Europe and Eastern Europe, so to say. Mm. So, you know, there's also this aspect of pornography that allows us to talk about these things, you know, to argue about these things. Because pornography is a domain of knowledge to me. People often say that it's like uh, just uh, people endlessly fucking for pleasure. But I also see this as like a huge source of knowledge. Yeah. Wow. But do you see uh, pornography as uh, only... Because it sounds like you also see... You, you see it like very... You have a very vivid idea about what pornography can represent and how it can like shape mm -hmm. but uh, do you see it mostly like entertainment or also as education I think I see it as a bit of both because I can also watch porn, porn films just to entertain myself but I also watch porn films because I have a huge interest to write about them academically but people don't have to have only academic interest to find something uh, interesting or use pornography as an education because there are a lot of people we forget about this they don't even know how to masturbate in a lot of places in the world because you know we have their own uh, free spaces here at the moment but we don't even know like there are a lot of people who don't know even how to masturbate yeah how was your sex education when you grew up uh It was like first started from the family, of course. Like I know I remember my father was like saying some things to me which are very cringy. <laughs> What is it? Yeah, like about how to jerk off and oh, like really? how to have fun, blah, blah. And I remember he was giving me some magazines also. But I oh, mean, of course. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, I, I was like, mm, that's not my taste, but thank you. <laughs> Would, yeah, okay. Did he give yeah. you gay porn then no he didn't give me any gay porn because this was like before i uh came out this happened like ah, when yeah. i was i think 13 or 12 even oh. like he said you know you're getting into you know adult life right now if you're interested i can always share these things with you which made me like cringy but at the time but i think he was doing the right yeah. thing yeah definitely yeah. not shaming yeah 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 but when you you know when you see that it's your dad who is telling you these kind of things at that time you can think that oh yeah please shut up i don't want to talk about this yeah. but when i think about it right now i think he was doing the right thing yeah to introduce me from the very beginning as a normal fact of the life which i would like to enjoy so, yeah yeah all right but uh, what are some things you would like to change when it comes to porn? oh that's that's a tricky one it is, yeah. <laughs> i think 
I want to change uh, the funding eligibility when it comes to porn because as an alternative porn filmmaker, uh, I see that I'm challenged most of the time by the finances because I I'm not part of any company and I'm not doing OnlyFans and I'm a filmmaker myself because I and my films are not for mainstream media. And I try to do artistic works. But when I apply to fund my films, to the state fundings, the doors are mostly closed to my face. Each time I hear that my films fall under the, first of all, experimental film category, which I find it very weird. Why? Because fetish. Because it's like pornography, it's sexuality. They also said that it's because of the LGBT-related issues fall under experimental, which sounds... Very oh, obnoxious to me, like and very that's weird. So old. Yeah, like very old school, but yeah. it happens. You know, like this year, I was, I don't know, I applied two film fundings, and two of them, I was only able to apply in experimental film category. And then when I get rejected, they told me that my film is too niche. And so, can someone explain me what is niche when it comes to experimental? <laughs> because this doesn't make any sense to me. Subgroup within a subgroup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was being too sub, I guess, oh <laughs> which God. is extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, so... But if you explain what inspires you when you create a film, mm-hmm. what what is that? Oh, I think... You know what inspired me in my last film? So I can start from that. This goddesses trilogy, the idea of making a trilogy about the representation of ass came from me when I was writing about porn. I realized that most of the academics eliminate the subject position. So they write about sex workers, but they actually don't interview with them as part of their methodologies. This is somehow like weird to me. Okay, they don't have to, but it would be so much better to have their opinions because you write about these people, you know? And instead of writing something about this, I didn't want to fall under the same category. I wanted to make a movie because I also think that if we can make a movie that is laughable, people also can talk about it easily because we often miss this part of pornography that it could be so much fun. And once we eliminate this uh, humor in it then it becomes so serious and people especially the conservative opposite so to say can point out the dangerous parts easily but actually we should show more that we have fun with this yeah definitely and that inspires me like to make it like really something funny and i i'm always thinking like in the film history also like i'm a huge john waters fan and you know like this camp movies of like divine divine films like i want to do something in pornography so something to you know give the whole camp value but at the same time give the information give the critic you want to give but at the same time don't forget that you should have fun with this you know yeah i love that the fun aspect is like definitely yeah you found it in in uh, brazilian porn yeah but i mean it's something that is not so german <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely. That is definitely not German. But uh, to be honest, it doesn't have to be because no, exactly. I mean, Germany is like they they have a lot of like well, different cultures. Well, we need cultures. to get introduced to it exactly and get some more joy over here. Yeah, yeah, and also like in the recent years, when we look at the porn film festivals, which I think really important spaces for us to introduce our works, because you know I just mentioned about the difficulties in being able to fund our movies. You know, like, a porn film festivals actually introduce a lot of different cultures in pornography, which is a great thing. And it's like the amount of the porn film festivals are highly uh, emerging at the moment. You know, this is a great thing for me. Because when I see each city started to have their own porn film festival, I, I become more happy. You know? Like, yeah. Because it's like, okay, there is mainstream porn, but what's the place for us? It's this places, you know, these yeah. organizations. Um. My view is that you also like fascinated about fetish. Fetish, yeah. Right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Did do you think that comes also somehow from discovering that through the Berlin club mm-hmm. scene or what inspires you like or where did you get in contact and like start to dwell in it? To me fetish is like a 
drag. This is how I see myself because when I'm into this fetish persona that I have, I can be someone else that I'm dreaming of. So it allows me to, you know, perform a drag identity, you know, like a drag performance. So I become this overly masculine man that I want to be and fetish allows me for that. And I like this a lot. But this is like, for example, in my culture, when I grew up in Turkey, in Istanbul, there was no such thing around me. I was introduced fetish highly here in Berlin. And of course, like there's this cultural barrier because if you look at the history of fetish, it's very much um, imbued in the religion and especially in Christianity. So once you're from uh, outside the Christian culture, then you also need to, you know, learn all about the uh, historical references that this fetish lies in. So it was like quite uh intense experience for me to learn all of this in the beginning. But then once I learned all the information that I need to for myself to have more fun with this fetish uh, culture... Uh, then I created my own persona as one of the drag performers. So I call myself like, this is my me being doing drag. What's your name? For me. Do you have any well, I don't have any name. No? Call me whatever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's like, it's just like, you know, allowing me to access what I want to do. Why is that separation important? Like, what does it, you know, I understand that it's liberating to create a persona. Mm-hmm. But why would you say that's necessary also? It is necessary because you grow up with a lot of, um, how to say, prejudices in your head. You cannot really overcome uh, with what you memorized before because it's super hard to change all these dynamics psychologically. So in order to do that, uh, you try to find an escape and creating in another persona becomes the easiest escape because you don't want to deal with yourself in a so intense way. So you need another person to fight with yourself. Within yourself. <laughs> Boom. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So you created a persona for yourself. Yeah. How long ago? I think like six, seven years ago. Yeah. Can I ask what it is? Yeah. It's this fetish dom character that I really enjoy from time to time. But Are you more so dominant? I'm more dominant, yeah. But part of me is actually fighting with that person, persona. Because it's like uh, not who I am on a daily basis, perhaps. But part of me enjoys this so much. Because it's like it's love and hate relationship. With, you know, everybody has this love and hate relationship within themselves. I mean, we don't easily love ourselves, you know. It doesn't oh. happen in a, in every... It's more normal yeah. to not love yeah, yourself. Yeah, right? exactly. But then, you know, you try to build a connection with yourself. And this allows me to do so. So six, seven years ago, when I was super uh, interested in fetish, I created this, you know, personal true parties and whatsoever. But then it became part of me. So when I'm having fun in bed, sometimes I want to call this persona to have more fun, you know? Yeah. yeah. Wow, how lovely. Yeah. So this persona, does, does it uh, dress differently than you? Or like what, you know, how far did you take it? It can, you know, you can like, it can eat different than you. It can, you know, do, you know, you <laughs> yeah, can yeah, take yeah. it so far. No, definitely, only... definitely. One time I had a like full-time submissive slave, sex slave. So, you know, we were like having 24-7 situation. And at that time I realized that I'm actually doing something very unfair to myself i forgot to be myself i should go back to the reality when you had a sub oh it was like five years ago and then you realize you were not being authentic yourself yeah because of the fact that i was just all the time with that persona i had to you know have my like on and off moments i need to you know it's like a unwanted spirit you just need to call this spirit <laughs> once in every while and the it needs rest. to go away yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah okay yeah I enjoy it like that. I mean, of course, there are a lot of people who are being authentic self. and Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Like living their fetish life 24-7, but I also enjoy the performative side of it. And I want to be that person whenever I wish to be. Yeah. And I like to have multiple different personalities for myself because I love being this sick ideologies in my head. You know, why not? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So how, in what ways does the character uh, differ from you, mm. who you are right now, for example? I think it differs from me when it comes to uh, mercy. <laughs> because I'm like actually in my daily life a very uh, thoughtful, merciful person. And I'm like, you know, coming from this activism background and I want to really help people. But when I become this person... I'm become truly a cruel bitch. So <laughs> that you don't even want to talk, you know. Is it can it also be be problematic? It you... could be. It could be, but I mean a little bit of problematic is why not? So, you know, it's the freedom of speech. So it triggers my freedom of speech. You need a little bit of problem to think freely. Yeah. Do you when do you call on this person? Can it be in the when you're at clubs often or Yeah. Are you making a lot of enemies at clubs then? Oh, I don't know. I mean, even if they're enemies, I didn't give that much of attention to them. So <laughs> they should slide into my DMs. <laughs> All right. I love it. Okay. But you don't have a name for your character. No, we should make one. I don't know. You can find one. You can be the name mother. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. But then I need to really think. Yeah. So I'll send you a Yeah. Later. Send me later a DM. <laughs> but I think you also need to get to know the person. Okay. Well, Could you switch into character? Oh, right now that's not that's hard. Is it hard? Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. maybe it takes a little bit of preparation. I yeah, can exactly. Imagine. Yeah. So how do we you need then... a, we need an anal shower? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's your preparation. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> I just wanted to make fun of it. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? It can be yeah. okay. But how long time do you need to prepare? Would you say? Oh no! I mean, it's just like it's not very calculated. I just go by the. You know, spirit, you know, sometimes I just wake up very horny and I want to be that character. I be that character immediately. It doesn't need any kind of preparation for me. But sometimes people also ask me, oh, can you come into this uh, shooting for the porn film making? And can you, you know, like do this and do that? Then, yeah, then it becomes a preparation for me. Yeah. You said also that you don't make films for heteronormative people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, can you explain why that is? Like, do you think they wouldn't understand? Or why isn't it for them? Like, because everybody else is doing for films for them. Let me be <laughs> the one who's not making films for them. I mean, I I said this purposefully, of course, because if you don't have this, like, uh, queer mindset, you can, of course, watch my films. That doesn't mean, I mean... It, I don't ask a licensed, queer licensed plate to watch my films. Anyone can watch those films, of course, but... If you don't have this like perception, then it doesn't make so much sense, perhaps. But the reason that I said that I don't make films for the heteronormative people is that I want to contribute to the queer culture. I want to honor queer culture with my projects. It's because of that. It's not because of the fact that, oh, I'm against to hetero people or whatever, but I'm against to normative people, not the heteronormative. I'm also against homonormative people. Not only heteronormative, but there could be also homonormative people, you know, like this uh, gay culture who are extremely misogynist yeah. or so on. You know, I'm also against to that too. Yeah. Not only heteronormative, but any kind of normative idea. Yeah. This they is, would benefit from your films even more. 
I mean, anyone can benefit from this. You know, I receive so many emails from straight guys that watch my films, and you know, they ask, they ask the contacts on Instagram. Yeah, (laughs) they don't add me, but they send uh, DMs (laughs) of their dicks. Oh yeah, they ask me like the names of uh, in like the peoples and who participate in my films. Yeah, like the cast members and so on. I watch your film. Why do you think this this is? I mean, they're closeted gays probably or they just have this part of pleasure but they're very much in an oppressive surrounding who cannot really be loud about their uh, desire Mm. so i think this is the main reason i'm not judging those people too you know you never know what are they they're going through but at the same time it's fun to see (laughs) you know like exactly because it's not something that i would expect no you go to instagram and they're like with their family Yeah. yeah this happens quite often very interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. But besides creating films, you're actually also an actor or a performer. Oh, yeah. So how did, when did you start to perform yourself in important films? I think I started in 2015 first, when we were first doing films for Pornceptual at that time. I was also asked by um, Antonio da Silva, who is also a porn filmmaker. Uh, to participate in one of his films. And then I was asked by other directors as well to be in their films. Uh, You know, like, I said, okay, I need to do this because I write about these people. I write about these histories on, like, in an academic field. But at the same time, on an artistic production, you know, if I'm showing about these people, I should be one of these people. Then I wouldn't be authentic. And having the knowledge even behind the camera. Yeah. Is, I can imagine yeah. that it makes a change. Yeah, because also like a lot of people talk about uh, porn filmmakers or porn actors or, uh, you know, like the strippers, performers, whatever, sex workers. But at the same time, you know, like uh, people don't know about these people. They just talk about these people, but they don't know who these people are. So I don't want to be one of them. So I decided to, you know, why not just joining and doing something because it's also fun. And I wanted to, you know, challenge myself because when I told my parents first that I'm going to do this, they said, but you want to also go for the academic career or artistic career. Don't you think that this would impact or, you know, like, the, do you think the world is ready for that? You know, this. I said, I'm not the first one. Look at the examples. Like we have Annie Sprinkle who is, you know, like an academic on pornography and she's a feminist porn icon. You know, like, why not? If she done that, I can also give it a try, you know? And if the stigmas will come with this experience, I'm okay to bear with those, you know? Fine. One of us had to do this, I think. And, you know, like, um, what I want to say... um, you know, when you're doing a porn film, also like porn stardom is a really weird um, term. Because if you're an actor, you do the film, but after the film, you're out of the character. Yeah. But in porn stardom, once you become the character, it's also yourself, it's your body. How can you escape from that character? It's very interesting for me to think about this. You don't think you can? I think in you can. In the same way as in other actors? Like actors? I think you can, in a way that you can change the character, of course. But at the same time, for example, if you go to porn industry with a name, you know, that you're it always... It feels definitely more personal when you're naked. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Because also with the faces, you put makeup and da-da-da-da-da. But when it comes to your body, like no one exactly. looks like you. This exactly. Yeah, and you can, of course, do, like, a lot of different makeups, costumes, whatever. But this porn persona also is about pleasure. It's attached to that. You know, you're actually filming in front of a camera showing how you have pleasure. Even if you're faking that, it would be so hard to fake on that. It's, like, very... It like it challenged me as a person to understand how, how actually people handle this because it's a very different methodology of acting porn film acting and people don't consider often like as this is a methodology but to me porn acting is a methodology were you prepared 
for that when you entered your first set? Oh yeah, yeah. I was like, I was thinking about it, but first I had a lot of like drinks because I was very anxious. I mean, I think this is very natural because it's your first porn film yeah. and you were never on cam in front of camera and I just wanted to drink a bit to make me relax. And then, you know, like I started to show my true self. I didn't actually fake anything. You know, people do this. Mm, uh, mm, I mean, yeah. these are unnecessary. You know, this yeah. is just like the mainstream market. I Sometimes I imagine, like I envision that I can hear when when people are faking it enough. Yeah. But I don't think I can. But you know, sometimes you can be like, Ay, it doesn't sound Definitely. Genuine. Definitely. But maybe some people don't sound genuine. <laughs> I, don't, I know. don't know. Because also like, I'm in the lucky place, I guess, because I also did fetish porn. And you cannot really fake in fetish regarding pain and pleasure, <laughs> you know? I mean, when I whip someone with a huge flogger, I don't think this person can do it. Mm. No. You know, like, that's very hard. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Okay. We're near, uh, so you had a few drinks and then yeah. you entered the set? I entered the set. It was actually in my room. The director in came. Your home? Yeah, the director came to film it in my home. Together yeah. with someone? No, we started with solo, but then with someone. We had the solo scene first to warm me up. That's good. Yeah, no? so I like that. Yeah, yeah. of course, because I, I also copied that approach for myself. You know, it's always good because then you have this person feeling good, relaxed in front of the camera so someone else can come and do something. Uh, the people behind the camera then, are they encouraging? Like, wow, that looks beautiful, you look so hot and these kind of things. You should do. You should do these kind of things. Uh, I mean, as a director, I also do because you have to motivate the people that you're working with. You shouldn't forget that it's a work. Yeah. And if someone is not motivated enough, there will be no good work. You know, there's like very simple mathematics. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yeah. Okay. And then in came a partner. Mm -hmm. And it was, it felt natural. It felt natural because of the thing that I think I knew that person from ah, before. Perfect. But just as a friend, we never yeah. had something before. But were you... Did you think they were hot? Oh, yeah. I mean, I usually think that everyone is hot in I their really? own way. Yeah, I'm not I think that's good skill. <laughs> I, I'm not that picky. Oh, you know, yeah. that's that's mm. part of being a good slut. I yeah. <laughs> I'm not that picky. Yeah. You know, like, I think everyone is hot in their own way. And if they have the right approach. Oh, my God. I think so. True. Yeah. That's for sure. But I think... Yeah, I usually think the personality... This sounds such a cliche. Yeah. But it isn't, though. Like, you can mm. never see on a photo if a person is hot. Mm. Like, you can think that the person is hot in a photo, but when you meet the person, you, I can be sometimes like... Oh, yeah, but this is like Airbnb situation. This is what I call Airbnb. You know, they're like Airbnb houses. They look yeah. amazing in the photos, but then you meet with these people, but they're like Airbnb houses, and the house is like shit. Exactly. <laughs> you don't want to enter. Yeah, exactly. There's some. It's really cold. Or yeah. it's like has a, a funky smell. It, you know, it can be anything. Oh, yeah, definitely. But I mean, like, you know, as I said, with the right approach. Not yeah. everyone. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. not everyone, maybe, but like people usually are hot in their own way. But definitely. I agree. I agree this. on that. Because, I mean, on social media, with a lot of filters and uh, all these things, you know, yeah. like, who is this person actually? Yeah, no. Yeah. Doesn't do it for me. No, same. Yeah. No filters, thanks. No. <laughs> so how do you work with that in your films? Because that shows that you also then care somehow about the personality, I guess. Yeah, a lot. Mm -hmm. Because the people who have to be part of the film, they have to have big personalities. Because I love big personalities. You know, they can always, you know, there's a lot to unpack. You know, it was a great pleasure to work with Jamal Phoenix in my film. He is an amazing uh, trans porn talent and like so, so educated also like you can learn a lot. Also, not I'm not saying educated just as like uh, the school wise, but also like life experience, yeah. you know, like it's always pleasure to work with these big personalities. And also like a shy person don't exist so much in porn industry, <laughs> you know, no. it's like it's a good thing about that. You know, you can always find like really this bunch of big personalities that you can actually you know jump through and learn anything new yeah yeah 
So how do you make the personality calm? You said they are big personalities, but mm-hmm. how do you like, is there any way on how to lift that? Oh yeah. Not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Because when I was doing the first film, Puzzle Musi, uh, in the Goddesses trilogy, he was so stressed and super, um, how to say, like he didn't know what to say and blah, blah. I said, I stopped filming, but I want you to have a conversation with me now. Of course, I didn't stop filming. <laughs> I just wanted to, you know, like have this conversations, conversations. But then I was like uh, talking rough who did the uh, camera in the films. I said like, shoot. Because, you know, you need to prepare people. You need to poke people. I mean, also like in my porn films, it's a lot of interview in it. You know, you, you make people talk in my films so you really need to prepare them but of course i also don't want them to be super prepared because then you take the fun from being uh spontaneous because spontaneously you can say very silly things and it can turn out to be the best sentences of the movie you know yeah don't take the surprise element out don't make everything super scripted no oh you don't have so much so you don't use so much scripts mm. i don't i have the general idea i mean in the, in my new film actually i have a script because it's a, it's a science fiction i have to wow. have i have to have a script science yeah fiction. yeah i decided to you know create a science fiction to pay homage to a 70s italian horror film <gasps> and uh i decided to change my eyes to actually how to say this i don't know like uh replaced my eyes with two assholes <laughs> which will be like sfx makeup so i will see the world differently and i will have the pleasure differently because these two eyes will be fuckable you know i will have like three different holes as a gay man i mean also including my mouth for exactly amazing you know yeah. <laughs> why not okay i want to question what is what is the bare minimum when it comes to human desire I want to know it? what is it? Yeah, yeah. because Did, I, we don't know. Was it sexy to see someone fuck someone's eye? I think I take the meaning of the eye while doing this film because this eye uh, and the asshole is like very traveling in between metaphorical and being real. But the eye, the reason why I did this to eye is like eye is the you know organ that we see. Mm. I want to you know the make fun of this ways of seeing and how we see things but i this has nothing to do with the original function of the eye which is to see but at the same time in a metaphorical way yeah i want to deal with that so i try to make a sci-fi movie right now which i hope it happens yeah <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah oh it's on like, on the making still on the, on the making yeah because super hard to do the you know like financially is extremely hard because i have to work with like makeup artists my cast members crew members also i work want to work with the 3d animation design i was gonna say that's a lot of work yeah it's a lot of work we are now come to the part of the podcast where if you're patreon you'll get to listen to the extra material where me and emre gives this golden tips on how to find the best queer porn out there that's actually also for free this and much more go to patreon.com slash playful magazine right last question okay uh how do you think porn will look in 50 years if you can dream a little oh okay a little no but you yeah be realistic if you want yeah (laughs) i mean i think i mean what i hope i hope Alternative porn becomes bigger and bigger and it would challenge the mainstream pornography. And I hope that universities especially recognize pornography fully as a field of art and include this under under the film studies. You know, like in, in May, uh, University of Bremen is organizing um, critical porn studies seminars for two months and i think this is one of the most exciting things that this year that it will happen and i want to see more of these things coming up and in 50 years oh i hope technology helps us more to challenge the industry and challenge the evil companies 
so to say. Which ones are the evil? I mean, to me, I would say Pornhub. In what way is Pornhub evil? Because they were engaged with uh, woman trafficking. Because they have like alleged uh, cases regarding woman trafficking. And I don't want to engage in Pornhub in any way after hearing this. I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, I also didn't know, but I read about it and I was like, oh, this sucks. You know, like, it it needs to be more fair environment. So to say, you know, this kind of things, I mean, come on, we shouldn't be talking about these things anymore. You know, no. porn should be done by who wants to do that. You know, you cannot force a woman to do porn or sex work by force. You, anyone, not only women. You know, this is just repulsive. That's why I said, like, I hope, like, all the alternative filmmakers gain more success and more fundings. I mean, I want to see in 50 years German porn film funding. You know, why not? This would be amazing. State funded. Yeah, state funded queer pornography. Beautiful. Please. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, that would be my dream. And more freedom for us to speak and raise our voices because we are talking about pornography as a side of like marginalized area but even in the marginalized area who want to do this job uh, ethically are also marginalized by the mainstream so you know like there are also some sites that I've been following which I can recommend our listeners also like Lustry or Pink, uh, Pink Label TV like to watch good porn yes instead of subscribing on evils you know <laughs> and also you can subscribe your local porn stars through their uh only fans just for fans whatever fans account you know it's also important and you can also get 20% off of your luster subscription through playful you see you see <laughs> <laughs> right philip uh, yeah something like that <laughs> yeah. exactly how it is right now, but, uh, but, if yeah. not, put the blame on us. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> wow, thank you so thank much, Emre. Thank you. I'm gonna give you a hug. Yeah. Thank you so Aww, much. Thank you so this much. was lovely. This was definitely. This was it for Playful Podcast this week, but please follow, subscribe, and listen to our next episode. And if you want to have a say about future artists or even ask your own question to one of our guests, Follow us on Instagram and make sure to add your question when we lift our coming guests. Thank you so much for joining and see you next week.
Yeah, I think this is a wrap. <laughs> okay, perfect. Yay. Amazing. Yay. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. This Thank you so lovely. much. This was amazing. This was amazing. Yeah. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.